championship phase and uh, we've had our first four teams eliminated so Andrew uh, what are your thoughts on the four remaining teams well uh, the Braves were incredibly disappointing so I gotta say good on the Giants for uh, outplaying them during their uh, their starts of the DS um, when it comes to the four teams that are I, the only reason I bring that one up is just because I could have seen that one going a little more either way but I saw the Giants basically you know winning mm-hmm. um Good work on Texas, uh, and like you said, all five away teams won in that series, which is pretty surprising. Uh, yeah, that was the, the, the definitely an interesting component. And, uh, I mean, the teams that were playing as the away team, they didn't just win by scratching by. I mean, they were pretty dominant in the away parks, both of yeah. them. So uh, it, it's funny how uh, Texas finally won their first home postseason game uh, yesterday. Yeah, right. After they blew the crap out of the game one, yeah, that um, was that was so sad. I mean, it it, it, it was almost curse like. I mean, yeah. That, uh, Before we go into the individual games, um, okay, uh, hold, hold the thought for a second because I will give. Let me give a quick rundown. Um, if you haven't been following so far, right now, um, the Minnesota Twins fell in three to the Yankees. The Tampa Bay Rays fell in five to the Rangers. The Atlanta Braves fell in four to the Giants, and Philadelphia swept the Reds as expected. Um, the only one that came as a Major surprise to me is that the Twins went down so, you know, without even a whimper. Yeah, they, not, uh, they were obliterated. Yeah, they, they, it, I'm not terribly surprised by it either, but I I guess I saw something in Minnesota a bit more than uh, than they showed. And their pitching just did not show up. It's just about the fact of it. So what makes this interesting for the four remaining teams is that both the DS and the CS are very lopsided as far as the matchup goes. And in the National League, the... Um, Giants and Phillies, the Giants pitching and the Phillies pitching matches up very well because you got Lincecum and Halliday, followed by either Kane or Sanchez, and it looks like they're going to be throwing Sanchez as a two, but that could be late series posturing um, in the event it goes to six or seven games. And then Kane in game three, whereas the Phillies will be countering with Oswalt and then Cole Hamels. Um, and their four will most likely be Joe Blanton, from what I'm seeing. Uh, and then I believe as their number four starter... Um, I thought the Giants were going with Bumgarner. He was available in Game 1 out of the bullpen, but I imagine he'll be starting Game 4 one way or another. The difference in the series is going to be is that while the Giants and Phillies match up pitching-wise very well, um, batting, Philly obviously has the complete edge. Mm-hmm. It's not even close. Like, um, which is made, There's a couple guys on San Francisco who have been hitting relatively well. I mean, like Buster Posey, obviously, uh, Pat Burrell, and uh, Aubrey Huff. But past that, it's... Uh, I mean, Cody Ross is suddenly turning himself into a playoff superstar. He had two home runs already in this series. In uh, one game. In one game, yeah. So, if you again, if you weren't aware already, um, as of Saturday night, Giants are up one nothing in that series. Flip it over to the American League, and you got the same kind of a situation, but reversed. Um, Texas's lineup can swing with the Yankees every day, but their pitching is is not very good outside of Mr. Clifford Lee. Um, Though both... Uh uh, both of their pitchers, uh, their names are escaping me. C.J. Wilson and uh, who's the other one? Oh, why is he slipping my name? My man too. I should know this. I, I almost called him Cody name. Ross, but no, that is that is not oh, no. correct. Col- Colby Lewis. Colby Lewis. Okay, it was close. Uh, 
Yeah, they both turned in pretty decent performances. Yeah, no, I mean, they shut the Yankees down up until the bullpen came up to came to yeah. be, and then, uh, yeah, they, they just, the bullpen completely collapsed in game one, so that pretty much wasted, uh, let's see, I want to make sure we got the names right here this time, um, well, Sabathia got hit around pretty decently, and, uh... And, and, and Hughes did as well. Basically, both, as well, both yeah. games so far, Texas's uh, worst pitching on paper has edged out the Yankees starters, uh, and it's been their bullpen that uh, had issues. Yeah, so uh, we saw the outing from C.J. Wilson, and we saw the good outing from uh, um, Colby Lewis. And the Rangers, their problem is going to be the fact that they walked seven guys in Game 2, yet still came out with a win. Hmm. That's not, I mean, they're getting away with it right now, but they better be hoping for a short sample luck right now, because their bullpen has been the downfall of the team, even though they sucked up uh, three and an out worth of, worth of uh, scoreless innings for game two. Mm-hmm. So that series is tied at one, heading back to New, New York, York, which will be uh, far, well, I don't know, I want to say it'd be more difficult for Texas, but it's not as if they play in some sort of, you know, Petco Park where they have all the benefits of the world of great park effects. Not to mention, so far, they've done better on the road than at home, so. This postseason, anyway. Yeah. Um, no, the, the, the thing to, I mean, the, the player that I just want to mention more than anyone has been Elvis Andrews. I mean, Elvis Andrews so far and uh, Cody Ross from the Giants have been the two standout players, in my opinion, because just because of Cody Ross's two bombs in one game to uh, help the Giants win, take a 4-3 win, and then Elvis Andrews, uh, he scored from second on a ground out in game one, or no, game seven, or game five of the uh, DS, and coming into this series already, he, he stole home. I mean, the, the guy is just making things happen, and... I, I don't know how else to say it than that. I mean, he's just having a phenomenal postseason so far. In the short sample, obviously, of seven games, he's batting four twenty nine, And, I mean, yeah, good for him is really all I have to say there because uh, Andrews came from Atlanta in the uh, the Teixeira trade, and he's been absolutely invaluable for, uh, for Texas in his two years in the majors, and it's showing up now more than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely impressed with him. He's uh, definitely... Uh somebody to keep an eye on, because I don't, I, if, of all the MLB teams, the one I know the least about is probably the Rangers, because they never seem to schedule games between the Rockies and the Rangers, so I never really get to see them or have any reason to look them up, per se. It's kind of a strange thing, isn't it? They always seem to miss the Rangers. Mm-hmm, I, I think, think we, they played them in 2006 when yep. we had the, uh, the West Coast Interleague. 2006 was the last time, and I'm pretty sure we've played every team at least once since then. Uh-huh. Well, I guess they might be coming up sooner, something like that. Yeah. Um, only thing that Texas has to worry about now, though, is the fact that uh, they're going back to New York. And, well, I mean, obviously baseball has a bigger home field effect than any other sport just because of the uniqueness of the fields. But as for advantage, I mean, New York's a pretty ravenous playoff town when it comes to it, and Andy Pettit's going to be on the mound. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should more than likely be concerned because Andy Pettit is a stud. He's having a very good – I mean po- – his he's obviously in the dwindling years of his career, but I always only, only saying that because of his age. I mean, his the rest of his career is more or less up to him. He keeps pitching well. Season, you know, had a couple like a mediocre ish season a couple years ago, then he's turned in two excellent seasons in a row, or at least good to a, you know very good. And, and as, he, as we discussed last week, he is a postseason wizard, and he ha- he has a entire season worth of postseason starts, which is just disturbing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so um, coming up on uh, 
coming up on Monday, we should be seeing uh, Cliff Lee and Andy Pettit. Yeah. Which will be a hell of a matchup. And, uh, I mean, go Texas again. I hope that they put ta- they put uh, New York away. But uh, we'll have to see what happens. This is going to mean it's up. It's only 1-1 right now heading back to New York. So this could just this is going to get more interesting before it, uh, before it gets boring. Yeah, I uh, am definitely rooting for Texas. Texas was the only team of the uh, – Divisional series matchup that I was rooting for, and so yeah, it, they're basically right. stuck with my allegiance from here on out. Stuck with it, yeah. So if you go to the National League again, and I'll say one last thing about there. When we gave the postseason preview, I basically said the only I, I still think Philadelphia's going to take this series, and the only way that San Francisco's going to win games is on the is based on Lincecum starts. Well, it's interesting because they won on a Lincecum start. And against Roy Halladay, they put four runs up on Roy Halladay. Someone cracked the joke on uh, Twitter that Roy Halladay, with no postseason experience, threw a no-hitter. Roy Halladay, with postseason experience, went seven innings and gave up four runs. Hmm. It was just, just a, kind of a silly observation there, but uh, I'm not even trying to assume that they figured him out. But I uh, I don't know. I mean, I would still hand him the ball in the next game he starts without any questions asked, obviously. Oh, absolutely. And, and when you have... At, uh, Hamels and uh, and Oswald in between there as well, and then I mean, even if Blanton gets roughed up in a start, yeah. Mhm. Yeah, that's what I got on the on the National League there. Okay. Um, I don't know if there are any other. Do you? Hit, I I know during the divisional part you wanted to make some some uh, sort of projections. Do you have anything you want to do in that department or? I think that uh, I want to say Texas will win that series, but I could easily see it be Yankees in six or seven. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the National League, the Giants are showing a lot more fight than I expected, but I still think Philadelphia's going to take it in six. Okay. Much as I hate to see that there's going to be a repeat World Series matchup, I think that it's very probable. Yeah, I've uh, thought about that as well, but. Um, I would rather see the Phillies in the World Series than the Giants. So. Yeah, I can agree with that completely. I mean, I, 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 I usually don't. Uh, I just say that I'm rooting for the better baseball, but really, I just cannot stand the Giants. After this whole season, I mean, no, I no, not rooting for the Giants at all. I've I've never uh, liked the Giants. I've always uh, had some. Uh, crazy stuff going on with them. I've I've just never really been a fan of anybody on their team. They seem to attract players that I just don't really like. Whereas the Phillies, I don't like them like as an organization, but there's a lot of people on the team that I enjoy. So I think I will root for the Giants if they face the Yankees though. I think I will. Well, I, I when it comes to the post like the World Series, I almost always root for the National League. But I oh yeah. I, I'm probably going to root for the Giants over the Yankees just because it's the Yankees and just because it's the National League, but, man, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, don't really have that much investment in the league so much as the team. I think that by the time it reaches the the World Series, I don't really see it as a win for the National League as a whole just because the National League wins, for example. So I think that um, I will root for the NL over the Yankees, and I will root for the Rangers over the NL, <laughs> basically. 
I could probably see that, too. If it's Giants and Rangers and it's a team that I have some sort of rooting interest in, I'll root for the team that I want to root for. But if I don't want to root for either team, I'm going to pick the National League on principle. Okay. That makes that's, sense. That's kind of the way it is. I don't actually want to root for the National League if it's the Giants, and I'm not a huge fan of rooting for the Phillies, but there's not a single player on the Giants I actually like anymore. I kind of like Pat Burrell still. I'll take that back. But I just don't like the team at all. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, with the Yankees, I don't particularly like them, but I I don't know. I mean, I, I root for, I like Brett Gardner. I think he's a good player. and I, like, I mean, I, not just because he's a good player, but I like Brett Gardner, kind of a, you know, finally appreciated amongst all the, the headline-making players. Mm-hmm. And uh got nothing against Granderson. Um, yeah, stuff like that, you know, just a, a few fill-in pieces like that. I guess Granderson's not entirely a fill-in player, but you see my point. Mm-hmm. Like, all the truest of true Yankees I'm not a huge fan of. Robbie Cano had a phenomenal season, but I still don't like him. I think he's kind of a, a Yankee, <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally I totally get and, what you mean. And I'm sure we could bring up A-Rod debates and all that jazz the whole way down the line, and, but uh, there's really no point. I mean, yeah. So uh-huh. I think I've made my stance relatively clear here. If it comes down to two teams that don't want to win, go National League. If it comes down to a team that I have rooting interest for, go that team. Okay, so... The other bit of news that we wanted to discuss, we're, we're doing a pretty short show. I mean, during the off season, we don't want to bore you with all sorts of irrelevant information uh, where we just kind of make up excuses of stuff to talk about. There's plenty of time after the meetings and as we get closer to spring training to start talking about the 2011 group. But for now, we're still really in the end of the 2010 season. But the posturing of the staff for next season has begun and over the weekend, they announced that uh, we have the coaching staff in its entirety is returning Save Don Baylor, who is being replaced by Carney Lansford. Uh, I don't know if you have anything on Lansford that you want to say about an introduction, maybe, if you have any basic information about who he is, because, you know, I don't have the whole baseball history knowledge that you or, or other people do, so... Well, Carney Lansford, I mean, he was an okay player. He was a good glove at third base. Um, and his more... I mean, we could talk about his coaching career. We'll get to that in a second here. He was a... Uh, he has an okay 290 hitter for his career. Um, could it, you know, base playing in the late 70s through the early 90s for uh, California, uh, now known as Anaheim, Boston, and uh, the Oakland Athletics, where he played the majority of his career. Um... He was an above-average bat. Uh, his career ops plus of uh, 111, and if you follow the, the plus metrics, that means you know he was 11% better than the average uh, OPS that year when you account for Park and all that jazz. Um, <clears throat> he did have a batting title in 1981, where he batted 336 with a 389 on base percentage. Uh, never too much of a speed burner. Uh, well, no, that's not entirely true. Later on, surprisingly enough, in his uh, Later, uh, in his uh, age 32 year, he saw 37 bases and 29 the year before. But uh, he's the kind of guy you could count on for a handful of stolen bases every year. And uh, But it wasn't really his entire game. It's kind of just, you know, taking the opportunities there. Uh, like I said, good glove. Um, I'm looking through his... Uh, yeah, Historically known, he was a solid defensive third baseman. But past that, I mean, good player, the kind of guy you want around. But... Uh, Nothing all that uh, groundbreaking or uh, 
headline making, I suppose. Okay. As far, as far as being a coach, we have seen him in the Rockies minor league system. We have seen him uh, most recently in the majors in 2008-2009 with the San Francisco Giants. And uh, I, I, I think he just kicked around this season and saw what he could do. I think mm-hmm. I seem to remember something about him making an appearance in spring training for us. But I, I might be just making that up or mistaking it with someone else. Just, just, just maybe as some sort of consultant for precisely, working with uh, with people during spring training, like running a Carney Lansford clinic or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that uh, I mean, I, as I'm sure most people probably have jumped to this conclusion already, but a huge part of the reason that he was hired back is because he has worked in our system before, and he worked with AAA when. Uh, people keep pointing out that I believe Seth Smith, Ian Stewart, and Chris Iannetta were all on the team that he worked on. And so they have worked with him before, and they have some sort of established relationship. And I believe all three of those players did pretty well while they were uh, down there with him. So I'm sure that they're banking on some sort of reconnection between uh, Lansford and those three, who are three players that we need to... Uh, kind of break out sooner rather than later if we want to see this team go places. Um, yeah, no, that's, uh, considering the, the uh, <clears throat> need for Ionetta and Seth Smith and Dexter Fowler to start hitting this season, the fact that they didn't, well, Smith did all right for part of the season, ended up at, for his entire season line being somewhat above average, but his last two months are pretty abysmal. Um mm-hmm. I'm trying to see if I can find Lansford's entire coaching career because I know that he's uh, been um, you know around the block a little bit with the Rockies, but I'm not I'm not entirely sure if he's actually ever coached Fowler. He hasn't because Fowler Fowler was uh, too young. Yeah, he skipped Triple A, and then when he got sent back down, we had uh, we had uh, Renee Latchman down in Triple A. Yeah, we uh, Fowler was not. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, Lansford was here in 06, I believe. And, uh, you know, that's f- even if Fowler had gone to AAA, that's far, far too early for Fowler to have even been considered for AAA. So I, I'm, I, it's po- always possible because you have these coaches, you know, they'll make appearances that w- swap around with other teams. And, like, the, I remember the uh, they called in – People from lower down in the uh, in the uh, organization to help Aaron Cook at Tulsa, even though they weren't like drillers employees. But I think that it's probably pretty unlikely that Lansford ever had any substantial time coaching Fowler. Yeah, <clears throat> no. So I mean, that kind of confused me reading a lot of the message board comments on Purple Row about a. Uh, Oh well, now Lansford will help Fowler. I'm not entirely sure where they're getting that from, but I guess they figure if it helps Smith and Ionetta, maybe they're just not. Res- maybe if they didn't respond to Baylor the way that we are assuming they didn't respond to Baylor, um, that Lansford will have because he had a magic touch in AAA with uh, Smith and Ionetta. That maybe and Stewart hold- and Stewart, yes, but maybe the uh, con- the uh, thought that. Uh, um, if what the if what Fowler wasn't responding to about Baylor is the same thing that the other three weren't responding to about Baylor, then maybe having Lansford in that slot will either remove a negative and have them at least you know maybe improve their response to coaching that way, or maybe Lansford has something extra for Fowler that we don't know about. It's always tricky with hitting coaches because um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I find the uh, effects of a lot of uh, major league coaches to be somewhat negligible. And I know it's not really fair to say, but if we're looking at the entire team as a whole and say, oh, the Rockies played crappily this year or whatever, fire Dom Baylor, that's not really fair now, is it? I mean, I don't think you can really pin an entire season on a hitting coach. And I don't, I don't think anyone's legitimately doing that, but I think they're giving Dom Baylor a lot more uh, discredit, so to speak, um, than he really deserves. Yeah, I have a lot of opinions on that, too, but I want to go back real quick to one thing we were talking about before with Fowler. Troy Rank had actually tweeted that Fowler was probably the player who Don Baylor actually worked with the best, other than uh, Gonzalez and Tulowitzki. Uh, he, he gave a lot of credit to Fowler's second-half kind of improvement to, to Don Baylor. So... I, I, I'm not sure exactly what, I mean, I don't know if if Baylor was really all that bad in terms of working with Fowler specifically, but I can certainly see the connection between the other three, which are the ones that are being kind of hyped by the media as the three that Lansford is ex- most expected to be uh, working with. Well, considering the fact that uh, Brad Hopp is now gone, and I doubt he'll be back, because there's just not a full-time job for him unless something catastrophic happens with Todd Helton this offseason. And know? he's a lefty, and we're looking for righties right now. We're, very le- we're a very lefty-heavy lineup as it is. Um, the point was that we are going to rely on Smith a lot more this season. And I do think that there's going to be a decent amount of uh, swapped playing time between Spilly and Smith, assuming, and it's assuming the roster stays relatively similar to where we are, in, at least in the sense of, Spielborgs being a Rocky next year. Yeah, which um, is which is all we can really do at this point. We don't want to say, oh, well, here's how it's going to stack up if they go get an outfielder or something like that, because we don't know. I mean, obviously, when, uh, when and if they make a move like that, and it turns out that maybe Seth Smith isn't going to be our starting left fielder or some such, then we might wind up in a situation where we change... Our, our, our rundowns of these things. But at this point, I, I definitely think it's smartest for us and everybody else, really, to stay on, on, on track with what we expect to happen, all other things being the same. So for now, the situation we're in with Smith is uh, exactly what you were just describing. So, the, I mean, as it stands right now, something about these players' approaches is still wrong or it's been somewhat broken or whatever. And, um, I don't know, I, I, we can't expect to have miraculous results from everyone. Like, uh, like Jeff uh, wrote about in the Rock Pile a few days ago, <clears throat> that Stewart um, may be unimpressive this season, at least as far as, uh, you know, batting average and stuff goes. But all things considered, he, you know, even after being a roughly a league average bat, and he's at a slightly above average glove, and... I think we're, like uh, people mentioned too, we're very spoiled by Ubaldo Jimenez, Carlos Gonzalez, and Troy Tulowitzki, all being youngish players, especially Tulos and Gonzalez, because Ubaldo is, I think, a year older than Tulowitzki is. But the point being that young players blossom into absolute monsters. Yes, Scion candidate in Ubaldo and uh, MVP candidates in Tulowitzki and Gonzalez, but uh, <clears throat> it ends up that they were. Uh, you know, just they have met their potential, whereas Ian Stewart had a lot of uh, high billing. You know, just looking at his draft pedigree and so on and so forth, and he just has not torn the cover off the ball like we were hoping yet. So because he's not hitting three something and 
and plugging 30 home runs and whatever, we're thinking, oh, Stewart must be a failure. I don't think that's necessarily a fair way to put it, and I think uh, there's a lot of overreaction about that. Not every team has a superstar at every position. And, yeah, it sucks sometimes when we are in a tight spot and Stewart comes up and strikes out on four pitches. Mm-hmm. But every team has guys like this, and it kind of depends. It'd be there's not really many better third basemen on the market unless we seriously want to go after Adrian Beltre, which I think will be a mistake at this point considering the money he's going to be commanding. And there's no talk that we're going to be going after him either. My point entirely is just that I don't think Stewart is a bad option. And mm-hmm. considering the fact that we, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, the way he lost he lost a lot of his playing time to Mora, and a lot of that was due to injury as well. But it does raise concerns. And the fact that we do have too many platoons in our lineup is also a concern. But, these are the things that a, a good front office and a good manager will work around, and I have confidence that uh, that they'll find a way to do it in 2011, you know, barring, you know, consistent injury again, because there's nothing any team can do about that. Sure. Well, that's not entirely. You can always, always have a deeper bench. And we, considering how many injuries we have, I would argue that our depth did show up, because the horrible losing streak at the end of the season, you can't blame bench depth on that. The, team, they, the starters all came in and fell flat on their faces. But when the starters were out, their backups did a decent job. Especially like Melvin Moore. He really took off right when, when Ian Stewart was hurt. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I yeah. mean, looking at all the players who joined us, the deepest we ever had to, you know, grope for uh, somebody to, to come help the team during injury was Brad Eldred. Uh, and knowing that in previous years, we had uh, Valerio De Los Santos and Tim Hericola pitching. That's a pretty significant uh, upgrade, I would say, in terms of, you know, we only had to get one uh, em- super emergency player up here for, like, three weeks. And despite all the injuries, we had players ready to go, and we had a roster that was kind of uh, amorphous in the sense that it was, uh, while it might have been constantly changing as people got healthy and got hurt, uh, we didn't see a whole lot of uh, times where it felt like, say, the 2008 bullpen, where we had you know a double A team up there or something. Yeah, the uh, the the depth this year, like you said, was a lot more major league quality. I don't even know where Valerio de los Santos. Sorry, Valerio de los Santos. I don't even know where he came from. He was uh, he was like, go ahead. I was just going to say, I looked through his like his major league career, and yeah, he had somewhat of a career somewhere, somehow, but out of all the possible guys we picked up to make a couple starts, him? I mean, I, it, it just was, I know we're going way back in time, and it doesn't make any difference, obviously, but I'm like, really? In this guy, Who is this guy? Did you just, what? Did you go and, like, rehire some team's pitching coach to come out and do something? <laughs> I, I just could not, for the life of me, fathom where this guy came from. It's... I, 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 it's still I can't even articulate the confusion that Valerio. Oh him, who? I mean, it felt like we were in like the movie Major League. You know, this guy is dead. Cross him off then. I mean, Valerio de los Santos. I mean, good for him for at least you know making a shot at it. And he didn't do. No, he did abysmally. I'm. I'm. I, yeah, he was able to wriggle out of his own ridiculous. I can't throw strikes whatsoever. Jams, but past that, I mean, no, nah, he. I. There wasn't a more recent major league name that they could have picked up to make a few spot starts for us. Well, Nobody? I oh. I I can't remember. I mean, back then it, this was mid to late 
2008, like July, August sometime, I think, when De Los Santos was up. And I didn't follow the minors nearly as closely then as I do now, and I don't know who was at AAA at the time. I mean, we'd already called up uh, a bunch of people from AAA. I, I, I don't know the exact situation, but, uh, yeah, it, it did seem odd, but I guess, you know whoever was down there was not as good of an option. I guess what you were saying was there was probably some recently released minor league free agent that would have been a yeah, better choice. And that's literally what I was getting at there. I mean, the 2008 when he pitched, he gave those eight innings over two starts. <laughs> a 5-6-3 ERA, he struck out 10, which is very impressive. He walked 11, which is impressive in how bad it was. Um... Duh. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal strikeout numbers. But here's the point: he hadn't pitched in the majors since Florida, 2005. Florida, yeah. and he hadn't made a major league start since 2000 with Milwaukee. And I know we're harping on this utterly meaningless point a little bit here, but it it, it, it still just absolutely blows my mind. Like, what? I, what? <laughs> Who is this guy? It looked like he was pitching in the Mexican league, so there might be a Vinny Castilla connection there. Um, he, yeah, he, I'm pretty sure he was with the the AAA team in 2007 as well. He well, was he he was one of those uh, fifth starter type guys, kind of like Josh Mickey was this year for the the Sky Sox, who is signed to fill a hole in the rotation when there's nobody else there. Well, it looks like he pitched eight, made 18 starts in the Mexican leagues in 2007. Um. Yeah, that's where he was in, in 2007, was in, in Mexico. He okay. played in Chihuahua and Monterey, and I post passable numbers down there. Um, man, they're not even that passable. That's the surprising part. They're pretty awful, not awful, but pretty unimpressive, even for the Mexican leagues. And uh, But he uh, then he came to AAA and, in 2008 and pitched in 23 games, made eight starts, and was pretty bad there, too. Hmm. I gotta say, he, got, he somehow got his control on you know, his his walks under control a little bit, but whatever. I think we've talked about Larry Delasendas a lot here. Um, for a no. guy that has absolutely no bearing on anything. Okay. The point stands though that we did not need to bring in a Valeria De Los Santos like we did in 2008 because we had the Greg Smiths, we had Esmil Rogers, we had guys like that who were capable of making starts without having to uh, look outside of the organization. Right. Or call up Josh Mickey. Or call up Josh Mickey, precisely. Right. So, one thing that we I, I kind of averted from earlier that I want to go back to now is h- how significant a role did Don Baylor play in the offensive failings of the 2010 Rockies? And we know that there's a lot of people in the fan base, including at Purple Row, who were regularly calling for his head Maybe mostly jokingly, but also it's at the same time somewhat seriously in that saying, you know, oh, well, maybe it's not all his fault, but he's not doing his job. And so I, it's always kind of been confusing to me, somebody who, who has not, you know, I didn't actually play baseball long enough to get to the point where we had hitting coaches. <laughs> so I don't know what the relationship really is there. I don't know how often they work together. I don't know if they meet I don't know if the the coach meets every day with every player individually and goes over stuff. If they have like a a briefing, if they only if they only work with them when there's something that they're struggling with. I don't really know how close they get, and I also don't know how much of an impact that that 
a hitting coach can specifically have with a player. And if I, if I were to guess, it's probably got quite a wide variety because I would think that different players react differently to different sorts of coaching. So you're going to wind up with cases where somebody like Don Baylor will work better with certain players than with other players, not just because there's a flaw in Don Baylor or hitting coach A or whatever, but because that's just the way that they work together. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, your your point does stand that it's not necessarily that the hitting coach is a jackass. He just might not gel with the players completely. And some of them did. His, his, his skill set, his, his, his teaching mentality just might not work the same. Just, yeah. j- just like how, how you know, in, in school, you know, if you think back to, like, high school or whatever, there were certain teachers who had certain styles that didn't work with you correctly. You know, it was harder for you to get on board with their curriculum or whatever. If that, well, I had that problem in grad school, too. Uh, okay, well, yeah. Not, professor, sure. Thing. Sure, it is. I was just using a... Good point. It's definitely a good point. It's a, the t- trick for an organization will be when interviewing candidates to make sure that they have a very strong feel on what their hitting, uh, their coaching mentality is going to be, which will require an all lot of honesty on both parts so that uh, teams know what they're getting into. And based on you know a team's problem, maybe they're too free of swingers, maybe they're uh, too... Uh, too patient, I guess, you know, like we seem to have a problem with. Maybe more plate aggression is what some of these teams need. Now, when it comes to guys like Gonzalez and Tulewitzki, Gonzalez still needs work, we know, and uh, Tulewitzki, I don't want to say the finished product, because, I mean, the sky's still the limit for that guy, but uh, for the guys who have a lot of untapped potential, the trick will be to see what are their flaws and what kind of hitting instruction will they need to overcome these flaws? Now, with Stewart and Ionetta, for, and probably Fowler, too, and I would guess Smith as well, um, issue seems to be waiting too much on pitches and then, you know, not swinging at the pitch that could be a decent one, but waiting too much for the uber-perfect pitch that they can plunk over the fence and then end up striking out looking on a, you know, a pitch that should be taken for strike two when they're already up in the count or fouling it off or whatever. Um I'm just throwing these guys out for an example. I don't claim to actually be much of a hitting coach, but what they might even consider, too, is if they have a full-time hitting coach who doesn't seem to be adopting his style well to players who might need that, maybe look at consulting coaches. Like, uh, like you know, Mike Piazza, for example. I'm just throwing a completely random name out there. Say he's looking not really to be a full-time hitting coach, but is more than happy to come and give hitting instruction to teams. Have them mentor individual players, and I'm sure they do this. We know that Ian Stewart has a... Uh, personal hitting coach, but uh, maybe you know, maybe he's a problem. Who knows? Um, bringing in someone who can, uh, you know, hopefully uh, reach the guys in the areas that they're deficient in if it's not the full-time hitting coach. Right. Now, one last question before we uh, wrap this up here. I just wanted to uh, ask specifically your opinion about what your impression of Carney Lansford's uh, um how do I put this? His his attitude, as perceived by the way he's coached before, will be received. Because from what I understand, and I haven't read a whole lot on the subject, but his time in San Francisco was kind of uh, disliked by people who thought that he was not stressing patience or uh, some such quite enough. And a lot of people thought that this was the same problem Don Baylor had, because when you look at the strikeout rates between Alan Cockrell and Don Baylor, it went up about 3%. 
when Baylor showed up. And as as I've said on the podcast before, that could easily just be a coincidence because we happened to get a new wave of players in the 2009 area that happened to be more strikeout prone. But at the same time, I, I, I see the room for a complaint that Lansford is just going to be kind of the same type of hitting coach that Baylor was and that even if he works better with some of the players, he's not going to be the type of guy to uh, reach down the right path and say this is what the team needs to work on in general. Now, again, this is all speculation. I'm not even making an accusation because I don't have any confident idea about this is what he'd do. So what I'm asking is, do you think that it's just way too early to even be thinking about this? Because that's kind of where I am I'm resting right now. Well, it's it might be way too early, but what else are we going to talk about? It's not as if we have a postseason series that the Rockies are in to worry about. Um, I almost wish that as part of a like a PR move or something, teams would find a way to publish something about coaching strategies. Because most people in the in the game itself know what the pitchers stress. And uh, when we when Purple Row got to talk to Mark Gustafson uh, a year and a half ago. Um, he he gave a bit of uh, a bit of the organizational philosophy, at least on pitchers. Like they want to make sure that they have, uh, you know, good fastball command, and then a, a good feel for a changeup, and then they'll try to work a sinker in if they have it or not. And uh, like a new thing they've been briefly exper- experimenting with uh, recently is maybe trying to you know get some guys who maybe don't have a good handle on a on a on a, sp- a splitter or a sinker to uh, maybe try to work in a cutter somehow just to get that fastball off mo- off move. Blah, 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 off balance a little bit. Maybe add just that extra little inch or two of movement to try to do something to throw off hitters. Um, we, I mean, you can see a lot of what Bob Abadakis stresses is change-ups and sinkers well-timed and well-placed. And for the most part, it's worked. I mean, anybody who complains about Apodaca is, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say you're wrong. Um, when it comes to actually what Carney Lansford's going to bring to the club over Don Baylor, um, when it comes to fan perception... I've never seen fans really get behind any coach ever, unless it is literally Dave Duncan or Leo Mazzoni. Like, people still think that Apodac is a bum and needs to get run out of town because... I haven't read that in, in quite a while, though. I haven't... Yet, I, 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 I totally agree that Apodaca doesn't really get praised, or he, he, he doesn't get a lot of attention, positive attention thrown on him, but at the same time, after we've had, you know, Marquis and De La Rosa and, and these, these success stories come about, and, I mean, the last two years, 09 and, and 2010, have been pretty much easily the two best-pitched years by the organization ever. I ha- While I agree there hasn't been a lot of praise thrown at Padakka's way, I haven't seen a lot of people complaining. <laughs> yeah, well, my, my point is entirely that people will always find something to complain about a coach. Yeah. I mean, and a manager, too, but at least a manager, they're... they're Goods and bads are far more visible in the sense of, oh, I left this guy out this long. Oh, I didn't make a double switch here. Oh, I didn't pinch here. I didn't bring in a new reliever here. Whatever. Their their um, direct impacts on the team are far more visible because they happen during the game. Whereas a pitching coach, I mean, is the next closest thing when they go out and say, hey, throw this pitch here, and then they walk back to the dugout. Um, with Lansford, if San Francisco is complaining about them not bringing an aspect of patience, well, I kind of want to put it this, because people try to bring up, like, you know, the Giants were, like, 28th, 29th, and 30th, and walks or batting average or something like that. Um, if I give you a lot of really cheap, terrible ingredients, I'm not going to be able, expect you to be able to make me a gourmet meal. You might be able to get me something that, that works and, is you know, doesn't poison me and 
and might make me less hungry, but I'm not going to expect you to give me something five-star there. The Giants didn't have much of an offense ready to go and a lot of really disturbing choices as to who they brought in. And so to try to fault Carney Lansford for that is kind of surprising. It's, um, when it comes to patience, I think a lot of people have different definitions of what patience is. Um, I look at patience as how well a team walks as a whole. Some people look at patience as how much a team strikes out. Well, strikeouts come looking in, swinging is the problem. And uh, while we do have a lot of swinging strikeouts on this team, we have a lot of looking strikeouts as well, getting locked up on the inside pitches. Perhaps bringing an element of not impatience, but maybe aggression might help some of these guys. Yeah, the strikeout numbers might still not be great, but I'm wondering if at least the contact rates would improve. Because if you can get the ball in play, and I know that not all balls in play are considered equal, but getting a ball in play will help this team. And, yeah, that's a lot of the reason people have so much praise for Herrera, just for getting the bat on the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if I have any other thoughts on Lansford at this point. It seems that uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely not comfortable trying to p- pigeonhole him into a type of hitting coach until I've actually seen what he's able to do. So I think that I'm going to leave it there. I don't have really have any other predictions about what he's going to bring or wh- how he'll be different than Don Baylor. Until and I maintain that a lot that, – that most of the stuff we see out of hitters is the hitters and not the coach. There's, you can definitely attribute some part of their game to it, but you can't give them the entire credit for it mm-hmm. or blame. Right, absolutely. At some point, Chris Ionetta, Ian Stewart, Dexter Fowler, Seth Smith. It's all up, it's all up to them. In, in they the are end. going to have to figure it out on their own, too, because there's only so much hand-holding a team can do. Single A ball, yeah, blame the coaches. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Major leagues, even triple A. Triple A is either going to be, it's just, hey, you might want to keep an eye on this pitch when you're, because major leaguers throw this one a lot on these counts or in these situations, as opposed to, uh, you know, more fundamental um, aspects of of uh, hitting coaching and hitting instruction. In the majors, it just seems to be more, hey, I've noticed that you started to bring a bit, it's really minor stuff, but minor stuff that contributes to being a major thing. Like, so like in the lower levels, you see a hitting coach say, oh, well, you're just totally wrong. Let's fix this now. But in the majors, like, you've gotten this far. You're a pretty good hitter. Okay, now here's what I'm seeing. You drop your elbow, your hands lower, or something small like that. Just small adjustments that might suddenly transform the way a pitcher or a batter bats. Right. So that's, think- that's all I got here when yeah. it comes to Carney So, I mean, good, good luck to him because he with, with a team that has struggled offensively, this season, um, for especially from what we should expect out of a Coors Field team, uh, best of luck, big guy. It's going to be difficult. Right. Okay. Well, um, I don't have anything else to talk about, and we've already gone longer than expected, so I'm going to sign off here. Uh, we are going to keep doing shows through the end of the playoffs before we start taking breaks. And, again, as, as I've been stressing, starting av- as the uh, winter meetings and the GM meetings and owners meetings and all those meetings start, we'll have a lot more to talk about regarding uh, the actual operation of the team. And we'll start picking up again when there's more to talk about. So, on behalf of myself and Andrew, we'll see you next week. Take care.